The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 142, for February 18th, 2008. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. That's John Braun. I'm Dave Hamilton, and you're here. Welcome. Hi, John. Hey, Dave. Happy President's Day. It is President's Day. That's right. Did you fill your wallet with presidents today? Uh, I got too many. <laughs> many of them. Actually, I'm hoping, you know, I'm really kind of sick of the one that we have now. Can we, that's uh, coming soon. Can we trade them in? Yeah, at, we, we will have to in November. Like him or not, we have to trade him in. And that's, uh, mm. I think we have one of, the, one of the Roosevelts, right? Teddy Roosevelt, I believe, is, is responsible for making sure that we have term limits. Is that right? Presidential office? Mm. Uh, I don't know. I, I wasn't paying attention. Okay. All right. Pete's telling me something here. What's it? Say, all right, Pete, I'm going to open up your mic. What's that? That would be Franklin, FDR. FDR, thank you. Okay, all right. Well, I was close. Uh, thank you, Pete. Uh, that's Pilot Pete there. He's making sure we aren't doing anything wrong. He's like the, the uh, I don't know what he is. Anyway, uh, we have a ton of stuff to go through today, John. You know, it's weird because it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday, so it's about, uh, what, four hours early for us to be recording the show. Mm. I don't know if it feels weird to you. It feels weird to me. Today feels weird in general. It here in New England, at least up in New Hampshire here, it's like 60 degrees outside. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it was warm. And, uh, well this, this week's going to be kind of weird because I won't be showing up at work until Friday because I'm going to a, uh, RFID show up in Boston. Um, really? You're coming to Boston summer. and you, you now is the first time I hear about this. I, you know, uh, I can, I can come. So, down, yeah, <laughs> I can come down and meet you for dinner. It's fine. You know, we we could we, uh, we we should figure that out. We should talk uh, offline here. And you know, are we allowed to talk offline, or do we have to record and and release every conversation we have? Yeah, we can do that. But it's a pretty busy show. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, maybe right, well, sometime. Yeah. All right. Uh, so earlier today, John, I was out. Uh, you know, I had that problem with my iMac, uh, where the hard drive died and the whole fiasco. And uh, so I finally got the drive. Now, I don't think I told you this. I got the drive and I, you know, follow the instructions. I popped the back off the, uh, the iMac. This is a G5 iMac uh, with the ambient light sensor for those of you playing along at home. And I uh, pull out the drive. Okay, fine. There's, you know, three screws inside or whatever. Pull those out. I'm trying to fit the new drive in. It's like, well, it looks right, but what, how come this isn't? And then I realized they put the rails on the new drive backwards. So I had to take a Torx T8 screwdriver and pull the rails off and put them back on. I put them in. Drive works fine. Get the machine up and running. All kinds of weird things happening when I'm trying to copy to and from FireWire disks to the point where it was chewing up the disk. It would make it so that the disk was unreadable on another Mac. Now, this is multiple FireWire disks, multiple FireWire cables. Same problem. Strangely enough, Having the eyesight connected to the iMac, remember, it, it doesn't have the built-in. It's the G5. So having the eyesight connected exacerbated the problem, but didn't exactly, but removing it didn't exactly fix the problem. It just made it less frequent. So I, uh, you know, called the, my, my friends at Mac Edge and, and also at the Apple Store over in uh, Salem and said, what, you know, what, what can I do? And, and the thing was, well, run hardware test and see if there's maybe bad RAM. And so I ran the hardware test. Sure enough, it reports bad RAM. I've got two sticks in there, the 512 that came with it, the one gig that, did, that I bought extra. It said the 512 was, it knew that it was a 512, but it wasn't recognizing it. 
And uh, I have no idea how long this has been going on. So I opened it up. I shuffled the RAM around. Long story short, it was just that the RAM needed to be reseated. It tested fine. Everything was good to go. So that and, and yet the firewire problem persisted. So I, it's possible I even knocked the RAM loose when I was doing the, uh, the drive swap. But this problem existed before the drive uh, was removed because I was trying to get data off it. So I know I didn't do anything in there to, to cause this. So now I, I brought it down to, to our friends at Mac Edge this afternoon, dropped it off, and, and hopefully within the next couple of days, we'll swap the motherboard. But that's, that's three problems with this iMac in the course of about four months, and AppleCare is due up in June. So I'm really starting to worry about this machine. We went the power supply, we did the hard drive, and, uh, and now, we've, now we've got potentially bad RAM, and, but probably not, probably just a bad motherboard. That thing should really hurry up and break before your Apple Care is done. I know, dude. How many of these do I need before you know they start calling it? You know, maybe a little yellower than white. I, I'm, I'm wondering how you know what what point we need to get to for a machine that I rely on every day. So, mm. anyway, that's uh, that's my story. But yeah, it was, so I learned something doing this though, John, and uh, that was that I I was able to get with the eyesight unconnected. Uh, and the, the gods on my side and, and holding my mouth just right in the right phase of the moon, I was able to get a time machine backup. Once I, you know, once I rebuilt this machine, I thought, okay, you know, yes, I don't have any critical data on it because it just accesses stuff on the network, but still very valuable to have, you know, save me a lot of time if this thing craters again to have a time machine backup. So I brought a drive over, connected the Firewire drive, finally got the backup to happen. And I thought, okay, so I've got the big backup done. Now I'm going to just hang this drive off of my, uh, my MacBook Pro and do the Firewire over the network. And, it, and it's allowed, right? With a, with a Leopard machine, Apple supports this. You can, you can do Firewire over the network. There is also a way to do uh, Time Machine over the network to a non-Leopard machine. And there's a magic little command you have to type in the terminal that essentially enables unsupported network devices. I'm not doing that yet because I, I want to trust this fully, but we'll link to the command. I think there's a Mac OS 10 hints article or there's something we'll find and, and we'll link to the command right here. And then, and Mike will, uh, will, will have done that for us too. Michael Johnson of iPhone alley. So, uh, so I did this backup, John, and I, I, uh, and then I hung it off the, the, the MacBook pro to, you know, to start doing the, the network backups. And, I noticed it was doing a full backup again as soon as I connected it. And I thought, well, that's, that kind of defeats the purpose. I wanted to have, I wanted to do the full backup, the big one, when it was connected Firewire and then over Ethernet just do incrementals. Well, here's the thing. When you back up locally to a Firewire drive, it backups, backs up to a folder called backups.backupdb. And then inside that folder is the name of the machine. And then within that is the folders that have all the dates of your backups. If you are backing up across a network, it creates a sparse bundle on the drive. Now, the reason it presumably the reason it does this is because it doesn't want to have to rely on the uh, AFP, the Apple file sharing protocol to do all of the the magic that we've talked about with hard links and all that stuff. So presumably it, it mount it, the reason it does it is it mounts this sparse image, uh, which really, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong. I know Scott Barman's out there. He, he might, he might have a, a good handle on this, but I'm pretty sure John, it's, it's a, it's really just a package uh, of files, but the way it mounts it, it can do a whole lot more with it than it can. If it's talking, you know, to a, a just a volume across the network. So it mounts this drive image, it backs up to the drive image and then unmounts it um, on the on the iMac. 
So long story short, if you think you you're going to take your FireWire drive and hang it off of all your Macs, do the first backup and then just do incrementals over the network, it's not going to work that way. So that's that's my uh, that that's my my first little tip out of my war story here. Hopefully, hopefully the war story will be over by next week, but I don't I'm not mm-hmm. keeping my hopes up. So you, you've had some time machine stuff going on, John. Yeah. Speaking of war stories. So, you know, I, um, you know, I spoke too soon, I think, because, you know, I had just installed the update and, and, you know, I thought everything was working OK because, you know, I saw now that you have a menu indicator for time machine. I saw, you know, the little hands spinning around happily and thought everything was fine. But then we had a few people um, write in and say, you know, everything's not OK. And I right. actually noticed this, too, is that when it came to a point where I would expect it to do a time machine backup, it would just kind of sit there and not do it. That's not good. Uh, so something was up. I was able to manually start it. So if I, you know, went to the time machine menu and said back up now, that worked. So it wasn't like, you know, something was working. And, you know, I verified that the backup actually occurred properly. Um, I did a check permissions. There was some weird stuff on the source drive. Um, and, you know, one thing they suggest now, actually, you know, a lot of people have wrote in to uh, Mac fix it saying they're having problems as well. And their recommendation, and we tell people to do this a lot, too, go to the console. And I think uh, in the case of Time Machine, you want to search for uh, things that are under backup D, which uh, is the, the Time Machine process. And uh, maybe you'll see some weird permissioning and stuff. I still haven't fully looked through my console, um, but people are having problems. So we'll link to the, you know, that article and the recommendations. Yeah. And the, so, cool, um, the cool thing, just to interject there, the cool thing, John, is that with Backup D, uh, with the new console, you can actually put Backup D up into the search field and it will parse the whatever log you're on or all logs, if you're if you're all messages, if you're on that, it will it will filter by Backup D. So that's really handy uh, so that you can, you know, zillions of other messages are coming in and you're only seeing the ones that match the filter you've typed. That can be really handy for troubleshooting yeah, like this. I think that's been there for a while. Has it really? It's kind of... Um, yeah, pretty sure. I think it's a, yeah, it's a, like a grep. Yeah, it is like a grep. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's been there for a while. Um, so yeah, some people are having problems with time machine. You know, you may want to, you know, if you, you're right. I don't know, Dave, you were, you were considering, you know, suggesting to some people, I mean, if if people have ongoing problems, I mean, may just want to start from scratch. I mean, that kind of defeats the purpose of having time machine. I, I, I think, well, here's the thing. 1052 if you you know look at their change logs and stuff uh, it, there's clearly a lot of changes to the way time machine works under the hood and my recommendation and 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 this is based on all the problems that I've seen reported is look once you've got 1052 on the machine and you're happy with it start time machine again i i, I know yeah like you said John it it forces you to to kind of undo some of the goodness that is time machine but I think you're going to be better off in the long run. And of course you found that you had to do something like that once you had 1052 up to get it to, to run again. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we had someone else write in also, if I can okay. move on, can I yeah, move, move on? on? Oh yeah. Keep on trucking. Well, we had the, the question come up last show. How can I find out the IP address of something that's on my, uh, my network if I don't know what it is. And we yeah. suggested a number of things, uh, you know, pinging the broadcast address. Uh, I, I like using Ethereal or now I think it's called Wireshark. Right. Um, a number of things. But then somebody wrote it and I, it, this just didn't occur to me, but it makes so much sense. Um, there is a command. Uh, you have to go to the console. Um, I'm sorry, the terminal. And it's uh, the command is ARP. And if you type ARP space dash A, 
what you'll see is a list of all the devices, um, their IP address and their MAC address. And uh, what this is doing, uh, ARP is Address Resolution Protocol, and it's a way on many types of networks to bind a MAC address, which is a physical address, to an IP address. Right. Um, so if any, if if the device is communicated at all and has an IP address, then you will see it in this uh, ARP table. Yeah. Um, that's kind of neat. Of course, uh, ARP. Um, yeah, ARP does a lot of things, and there's actually ways to. Uh, that I, I remember fondly back doing uh, at the nine to five. We we had a security challenge where we actually did something called uh, ARP poisoning, which um, if if you interject bogus ARP messages, you may be able to convince someone that they should come to your machine as a bad guy instead of the machine that, that uh, actually belongs yeah. to yeah. that address. And then another thing that, that people may find interesting is that every now and then uh, networks, if they're not configured right, you'll get an ARP storm, which is just a flood of packets that keep asking everybody to identify themselves. And, and it gets to a point where there's so much of those um, usually due to a misconfigured piece of uh, hardware where it, it just knocks everybody else out and nobody can do anything. Very and cool. I think, you, uh, I think you ran into, I don't know I, if you want to. I did, yeah, no, no, this reminds me, I, I was in a hotel once and there was a, uh, as it turned out, it was a Cisco router that managed the wireless network and it, it was the, uh, uh, I don't know, it was down in Austin somewhere. And so I know, what I noticed was I could get online and then, Every minute, literally every 60 seconds, the connection would pause for about 15 seconds and then it would be fine again. But, you know, this was happening every and then it would be good for 60 seconds and then 15 second pause. And I realized what was happening and it was that the router was rebooting. And so I did some research and kind of looking at the network and looking at traffic. And there was one machine I, could, I knew what its IP address was and it was out there clearly sending out uh you know it had, it had some virus it was trying to send out spam and it was over it was flooding the router and uh, the router was shutting down to you know to cr try and stop this thing but it didn't stop it it would just come right back and so you know i'm like wow this is really frustrating so i go downstairs and i, I knew it was a windows machine and i knew it was online all the time because i dealt with it one night and then the next day it was still there. I'm like, look, this has been here all day. Every time I've come back, you know, I, I was running some calls. And so I would come back occasionally and check things. And it was the same problem all day long. I'm like, look, it, it's a machine that's online. I doubt you've got someone that has a, a laptop in their room. that's just online all the time. You know, there's a good chance they'd put it to sleep. Do you have a Windows machine that you use here at the front desk? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we do. And we're seeing the same problem. Like, right. But I think it's you. You know, I'm just using the law of averages here saying that I think it's you. No, 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 no. It's not us. They tell me. OK, fine. So I go and I, I ring up my buddy, Nate, who's a Unix. I mean, he's like a total savant with this stuff. Right. And uh, he's like, well, you could you could ARP storm him and blow it off the network. And so I did, and, and it worked. I blew it off the network and grabbed its IP address so it couldn't come, come back online, and then everything was fine. The network stopped rebooting. There was plenty of traffic, you know, plenty of bandwidth, rather. Totally fine. And so I go downstairs, John, and I, I said to the people, I said, I think I solved the problem. I'm able to stay online now. I knocked the computer off the network that was causing the problems. Can you check and see what yours is? And they're like, yeah, we're not able to get online with our computer. I'm like, right. Yeah. You might want to virus scan that puppy before you, uh, before you start rebooting it and try and get online. So, but yes, ARP storms can be, or ARP, ARP spoofing can, can be a, a nasty little thing, but it, at certain times it actually is quite a, quite a little handy mm -hmm. tool. So, it's just a tool that can be used for good or for mm -hmm. evil. That's right. Uh, Actually, you know, that, that brings up uh, another topic, which I think is near and dear to uh, 
your heart, maybe my heart, I don't know, Dave, but um, you notice I use the term MAC address, which is part of what the ARP protocol figures out. And yeah. I think you got something to say about uh, Now, in this case, we're talking capital M, capital A, capital C. Right. Well, it's an acronym for Media Access Control, I believe, is what that stands yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, but whatever it is, it's an acronym. And what there's a, there's something that drives me crazy, and it, and I see a lot of people do it. And really, I I'd actually before we even knew we were going to talk about this stuff, I, I'd put in the uh, agenda for the show to to have a little conversation about making sure all of you know the right way and the wrong way to uh, to present this stuff. So there's two things that repeatedly I see uh, reported and and recorded incorrectly out there. One of them is this Mac M A C. Versus capital, so capital M, capital A, capital C is an acronym for the, the MAC address, the media access control address of your Ethernet or wireless adapter, any network adapter, really. Uh, there is, of course, another word that is capital M, lowercase a, lowercase c, and that is what describes the computers that we talk about here. So... Uh, so very important when you're when you're talking and I see a lot of people migrating from the Windows world that, that use this incorrectly. Capital M, capital A, capital C does not refer to the computer. Make sure you only use a capital M when you do that. The other one that drives me uh, crazy only because only because I I watch it for the staff here at TMO to make sure we get it right all the time is Macworld, the magazine, the expo Macworld. It is one word with one capital letter and that capital letter is M. Easy way to remember it is it's the same capital letter as the one on your computer. So it's Macworld, capital M-A-C-W-O-R-L-D. There's no capital W. Never. Yeah. Now, it I used to be. Here, here's Apple the th- started it. You know, Apple is the one that started this whole multiple capital letters in well, things. Well, it, it used to be that IDG, you know, Macworld magazine licenses the name Macworld to... Uh, another IDG business unit, uh, IDG World Expo, which has the Expo. So, and it used to be that that, and I, I know that it's one company and all that, but that you know, different business units, right? And it used to be that that license only gave IDG World Expo the the right to use the name with all caps. So it used to be every letter capitalized in Mac World Expo. That that has changed. Uh, and when it did, you know, this this camel hump problem kind of came into uh, existence. Camel hump being the two capital letters, one in the middle of the word. So that's where we are. Uh, speaking of words and names that have uh, multiple capital letters, I want to tell you about our first sponsor. And this is a new sponsor for the show. It's Rage Software. And they have a whole bunch of different products at, uh, at Rage Software that help you to analyze your website and increase your search engine ranks. So certainly if you are a small business owner and you want to make sure your website is better than the competition or figure out where you are, two of their products, uh, SE rank. So that's capital S capital E capital R A N K. It lets you go and look and see how your website is doing with, I think almost 50 different search engines. And then they've got a product called rage domainer, you put in your domain, it'll actually go and find your Alexa ranking, your page rank. If you've got a Technorati uh, account, it can look up and see how your links are that way. It can also link in with FeedBurner. It kind of aggregates all this stuff together and lets you see it all in one interface and really get a picture of how your site is doing, not only uh, in terms of, of traffic, but inbound links and all of that stuff. So again, Rage Software at RageSW.com with Rage SE rank and Rage Domainer. So... 
I think it's time to get into uh, some some listener questions here, John. Is that right? Mm, yeah. Okay. Right. You know, before we do, I want to make sure everybody knows how to contact us because we we often forget. We we remember everything to tell you except how to reach us uh, because so many of you do. Uh, we always assume that everyone knows how to reach us, but maybe not. So you can call us on the phone. Uh, we have a voicemail line set up 24-7, 206-666-GEEK, which John is? How should I know? 4335. There it is. Uh, you can email us to feedback at macgeekgab.com, or you can Skype us at macgeekgab. All of those will get straight to us. You can send audio comments via email. You can just send emails, of course. Uh, and then you can leave us messages that way. So that's uh, that's how you reach us. And with that, we will go to someone who I don't believe left their name, but uh, had a great question nonetheless. Hey, um, I'm curious if you guys know anything about um, restricting a computer to only using the N standard. Um, I imagine I've, I've gotten my network set up now so that I've got an N uh, network and an AB network or a BG network, whatever. And um, I've got literally 15, sometimes 20 networks showing up in my apartment building. And I believe that there's got to be a lot of crosstalk. And I've used your advice and constrained my um, my networks to the unused channels, at least for the um, for the uh, BG uh, uh, extreme space station. But um, I uh, I think that the problem with my computer is that it's trying to connect uh, using BGNN. And if there was some way that I could tell it to only use N, I've got to believe that my connection would be faster to that N network that I have available. So I hope that's clear enough. Um, thanks. All right. I, I think really, I don't, John, I don't think there's any way to tell the Mac to ignore B and G networks and only C N networks. Uh, but I think, and I know that you can go into the network um, preference pane in system preferences, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. System. It's not control. It's system preferences and tell it to only look for your one network and to ignore all others. And I think you've got the, the semantics of this down, right, John? Yeah, so specifically there is um, an airport tab, and then there'll be a selection by default, join, and then a specific network. If you put in a specific network, which is a network name and a password, then it's going to go to that one. Uh, what you also may want to do is there's an options button um, on that pane there. And I think what you also want to do, since sometimes it may take a little while, especially if there's a lot of bases for your machine to figure out, um, you know, just to get through all the mess here. But one thing you can do is that in the options dialog, there's something saying if no recent networks found, because I think that's by default what the Mac does, it will, you know, look for the last thing that it connected to. And you want to set that to keep looking for recent networks. You don't want to set it to either automatically join an open network or ask before joining an open network. So tell it to keep looking for the recent networks, I think, would, would be the uh, the best strategy in that case. But no, I don't think there's any way to, you know, either dictate the channel or the, the protocol, um, at least with the Apple product. And I'm trying to think about some of the ones that I've seen on the Windows side. and It may be buried in an obscure, you know, setting somewhere. Yeah, I, I would guess it's possible. It's just there's we we have no way of doing it on the Mac with the built-in hardware and the built-in software. I, I think that's that's what it comes down to. But I'm, I'm sure there's a way to tell the radio to ignore that stuff. We just, we can't. 
Yeah, uh, now another thing that I noticed when I was going through some of the settings here, and I just thought we tossed it in as a little mm. interesting extra um, feature of a lot of the wires, wireless things, and it may help you, it may not, but there's something called interference robustness, and the Apple documentation is sorely lacking to explain exactly what the heck it, that is. And, and I did a big digging, and, and as far as I can tell, it was something developed to originally deal with things like microwave ovens, which are on the same 2.4 gigahertz frequency as um, Wi-Fi. And, and as far as I can tell, it would basically make packets smaller so that the chance of a packet getting interfered with by something like a microwave, which does things in a in a, a certain fashion as far as, you know, uh, transmitting and then not transmitting and making it so that the packets are small enough that the, the chance of at least a microwave interfering are going to be reduced. Of course, if you make the packets smaller, since there's certain overhead, you're probably going to hit your, uh, your performance. Um, so I thought I'd mention it in this case, I don't think it, it would accomplish anything. And, and the, I think it's only an Apple thing really, but just, I came across it and I was curious. So I uh, just did a little digging on that. Huh? That's very cool. I, I, you know, yeah, I've always seen it in there. I never knew what that was. That's very interesting. Uh, all right. So in Antonino has actually a, a very a similar question with, with his own music. I hey, guess. John and Dave, this is Anthony from Montreal, Canada, with a question about wireless networking. I remember you mentioning this on a previous show. So if you could point me in the right direction, I'd be very grateful. I have a multitude of 802.11G devices wirelessly connected to my 802.11G D-Link router, which I've been very satisfied with. However, with the purchase and subsequent falling in love with a brand new MacBook Air, I find myself wanting to take advantage of network-attached storage over an 802.11N router. The question is, how do I connect two routers together so that one takes care of all the G devices and one all N devices, and yet have everything connect at the fastest speed for each device? Love the show. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Wow. That's nice, huh? <laughs> like that jingle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So let's, let's think about this. So you've got your, your cable modem and we'll just use that as a generic term, whatever device is delivering your internet access to you. And then that's going to connect to your first router. And for the sake of argument for, for Anthony here, we'll say uh, that's his D-Link router and that's fine. So that connects to the D-Link router, and then the D-Link router uh, connects wirelessly to the B and G devices and wired to any Ethernet devices. And one of the Ethernet devices that it's going to connect to is Anthony's new wireless N router from Apple. Now, presumably the D-Link router has been doing all of the uh, address distribution, i.e. DHCP, and network uh, management uh, and, and IP uh management for NAT routing so that you can have all these computers inside the network and they can deal with the, uh, the cable network as it, as it needs to. So we're going to let that continue doing that. Now your new airport N router is going to want to do the same thing uh, by default. And you need to turn that off. You need to go in and disable DHCP and, uh, and disable uh, NAT and put it in what's called bridge mode. Otherwise you're going to have, it essentially creating a second sub network on your network. And then things like bonjour and all that are either going to get squirrely or just not work at all. So you need to go in and, and disable uh, all of those features inside the, uh, the, the, the Apple router. And then that, that in theory should do it. And if I miss something, John, you're, you're right here with me, right? Mm-hmm. 
Did I miss something? No, you got it. I, uh, yeah, you want to make, uh, you, you don't want two devices um, doing DHCP and that, that, that can, uh, it may, as you pointed out, I mean, I've, I've seen cases where it's really bad because, you know, if you have two DHCP servers, um, depending on how you have things hooked up, that, that could be really bad because then they may not be aware of each other. And right, yeah, it's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So it, it, just to be clear, you want in, in the network section of the airport uh, admin utility, and there's a couple of different ones out now. Right. But but for the for the N router, uh, you go, I believe it's into network or maybe advanced on that one. I don't have that right in front of me, but you want to disable the feature that distributes IP addresses. That's that's the first one. When you're on the Internet tab, the one that connects you connects your your N router to the Internet. On that one, you do want to turn on DHCP. That means that your router is going to use DHCP to get its own address. You just don't want to distribute addresses. So you want it to be a DHCP client, but not a DHCP server, uh, if that's clear enough. So that's the that's kind of the magic there. And uh, I think if if we're if we're good on that, though, most routers have the uh, have have two types of ports on them. They've got one port that connects to the the internet and we'll call that the WAN port the wide area network port John and then and then I think the uh, N router has three or four LAN ports uh, those would be four ports that that kind of act as a switch if you are in bridge mode once you've turned off distribute IP addresses I'm pretty sure that that WAN port simply becomes a fifth port on your switch it bridges them together uh, but if you are having problems with that you can just connect it. Uh, you know, connect via the, the one of the LAN ports back up to the D-Link router and it should be fine. Is that right, John? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds right. Yeah. Okay. The, the WAN and the LAN port are the kind of, when you're talking about sides of a network or sides of a router, mm -hmm. WAN is on one side and the LAN ports are on the other, if, you, if you've seen diagrams. And actually, Apple's documentation for airport setup, uh, you know, makes that uh, pretty clear. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, and then I think we have one more related question from Thomas here. Hey, this is Nostra Thomas in Minneapolis. Um, you, know, you guys have talked a couple times about changing the channel on... I'm not sure what's going on with Thomas's question there. Yikes. Let's, uh, let's try Thomas again here. Uh, I think. Hey, this is Nostra Thomas in Minneapolis. No. Huh. I'm right, well, going to try this one more time here, John. Hey, this is Nostra Thomas in Minneapolis. Um, now, you guys have talked a couple times about changing the channel on the on my Wi-Fi. And um, I'm kind of new to Mac, but I'm wondering exactly how do I change that channel. Um, uh, I've looked. I've looked all over for that, and I can't find it. And I'm having problems with my, uh, my Airport Express. It, uh, every three or four days or so, it just disconnects itself, and I have to go turn the thing off and put a power on and turn it back on. Okay, thanks. Um, my contact. Ah, we'll talk to you here. Uh, you want to take this one, John? You know, it, it. I don't think it occurred to either one of us, Dave, that, um, you know, I mean, a lot of people are used to changing the channel on their TV or something and are used to whatever device you have in your hand being able to change that. The thing is, in the case of airport and channels, your computer has no control over the channel. The, about the only thing you can do... Like on my one machine here on the PowerBook, if you go to the uh, system profiler and click on airport card, it'll tell you what channel you're on. And there are also some 
uh, dashboard widgets and uh, and other things that'll tell you what channel you're on. But all of that is controlled by the base station. So I don't think we made that clear at all because it uh, we made the assumption kind of lopsided. We made the assumption that everybody knew that, and yeah, you just pointed out exactly why everyone would assume it was the opposite. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So to change the channel on an airport base station, uh, you have to open the airport utility. And as I just said, there's two different ones. There's one in tiger and one in leopard. So the one in tiger, uh, you select the base station, you choose continue. And on the airport menu, uh, the channel dropdown is at the bottom and you just change it and then click update and it'll apply the change to the router uh, reboot it, and then it should come up on the different channel. Your Mac will, like John just said, your Mac will magically find it on the new channel. Uh, so that that should go just fine. In Leopard, similar, you click the base station, you click manual setup, because it's going to try and walk you through this automated setup. Uh, click the wireless tab, and then the channel drop down is right there in the middle. Same kind of thing. You pick the channel you want, and you can refer to uh, MacGeekGab141 last week's show to discuss why you probably want to choose channel one or 11 uh and, and we'll kind of leave it at that so um one thing i want to mention also now uh, i'm looking at my linksys here but i believe the apple product does this as well and this may answer a prior question but a lot of times you can indicate the mode like for example on my linksys here i have a mode of mixed b only or g only and i think some of the apple products do that as well they do is that right yes Okay, I haven't looked at all of the the wireless products as of late, but I think even the one I have, the uh, the Express. Um, so to to the you know prior question about how do you lock in, um, that may be one way to do it from the base. If if you want to say okay, only B devices come here, only G devices, yeah. um, rather than accepting anything, which I think it would just increase the amount of time for for things to settle down. Um, that could be a strategy for for segmenting your uh, network. Cool. Uh, all right. Our uh, our second sponsor for this show, John, is Audible. And of course, if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab, you qualify for not only a two week free trial, but a free book. And the only way to get that free book is to go to that link. So, uh, John, do you have any book in mind that you might want to uh, suggest to people this week? Uh, absolutely. So okay, I found um, another favorite one that um you know, I hadn't hadn't read in a number of years. It was back in school, um, and I believe the opening line is, "It was a pleasure to burn." Uh -huh, and the yeah. book is Fahrenheit 451. For those that are familiar with it, by uh, Ray Bradbury, uh, and it's basically a story of a future where, well, here's the weird thing, and it gets weirder. Um, firemen in that uh, future, they're paid to burn things, <laughs> specifically books and buildings that contain books. And it's just a horrible, you know, uh, potential future. And uh, so firemen in, in this guy's job is, uh, you know, they, they burn books and stuff. And eventually the guy, you know, learns the error of his ways. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll let you check out the book. But um, it was good to see that that's uh, one of the titles available um, at Audible. And I'm pretty sure the Audible version of that book is actually read by Ray Bradbury himself. So you get to hear Ray read his uh, his own words, which all, to me is always cool hearing an author. Well, maybe not always. <laughs> But most of the time, it's cool unless the author just doesn't speak well. But uh, yeah, in, th in this instance, Ray has Ray has read the entire book, and they've got the unabridged version there. And I, yeah, it's one of my favorite stories too. It, it's a classic in it in its own you know in its own way. 
All right. Uh, and again, audiblepodcast.com slash is the way to get that book for free. Madeline writes in, I have a question about dot max syncing. Ah, yes. Dot max syncing. Uh, I have a MacBook Pro and a 24-inch iMac in my office. I want to synchronize my contacts and calendars, but for some reason, I'm getting duplicate entries on my calendar after syncing. I have a perfect calendar on my MacBook Pro and would like to totally erase what's on my .Mac account. However, when I change my sync options to move data from my laptop to .Mac and say okay to erasing what's on .Mac, I still get syncing conflicts. My question is, is it possible to erase the data on my .Mac account? I, I've gone through this before, as many of you might have guessed, uh, and yes, it is. So there's a couple of things to do, and you can do them all right from, well, you can do all, almost all of them right from your MacBook Pro. So sit down at your MacBook Pro, go into the uh, .Mac system preference, go into the advanced portion where you can see all of the computers that are syncing, and one by one, remove all of them, including your MacBook Pro. Just click on it, click remove this computer, click remove this computer. Once you've removed the last one, it will come up to you and say, there's some data lingering out here on .Mac. Do you want to get rid of this? And the answer unequivocally, of course, is yes. You want to pull that stuff out. Then, before you do anything else, open up iSync. Now, iSync is in your Applications folder. Once you're in iSync, Go to the preferences and down at the bottom in the advanced section, click reset sync history. That will kind of uh, just really wipe things out. You pr that's probably something you don't need to do, given that you've pulled this machine off of dot Mac, but it's not going to hurt. And in fact, I recommend doing that on all the machines. Then add your MacBook Pro to dot Mac, let it complete a sync and then go and add your iMac to dot Mac and let it pull things down. When you have the option to choose, uh, you know, replace or merge, tell it to replace on my computer. So it's pulling down the stuff that your MacBook Pro just shipped up to dot Mac fresh, pulls it down to your iMac. That should get you going. Um, and, and that's, uh, that's all I have to say about that. Do you have anything to, to add to that, John? Before no. we, no, I just wish they had a big red button to do that all, you know, in one fell swoop. But, uh, hmm. yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Um, all right. So a couple of things in the uh, cool stuff found category, John, one, and I meant to mention it last week when we were talking about uh, running WebKit, the, the, the nightly builds of Safari. There's actually an app called Night Shift, and uh, I don't think I mentioned it last week. Uh, it's available uh, on, uh, on .Mac. We'll put the, the account. It's not an Apple app, but uh, there's a .Mac user that, that wrote it and released it, Reinhold Penner. And uh, Night Shift is a, an app that will automate the process of going out, grabbing the, the latest nightly build, download it, uncompress the disk image, open it up, replace the copy of WebKit that you have on your computer, and you know, kind of do it all in one fell swoop. So that's uh, that's Night Shift, and it, it's a handy little tool to have. So uh, so uh, that's that's where we're uh, that's one thing I found, and then the other is kind of something I I came across by accident, John. Grand Central, a, a, a listener had written in and asked us, look, you know, I'm, I'm using some software on my Mac that answers my phone calls and, you know, manages that. But I want to take it one step further. I'd like it to, you know, kind of reach me wherever I am. And is there any software you know for this? And just kind of offhand, I said, well, I don't know of any software that that'll do any of these advanced features. But but there is this service called Grand Central and Google bought it last year and has made it free. Uh, it's kind of sort of like Gmail invite only, John, but you, but you don't, if you just go up and sign up for it, I think it, it took this one listener a couple of days to get a, a number. And what you do is you get a phone number from Grand Central 
And then that phone number is the key to you. And you can have it so that, uh, you know, some, someone calls your grand central number. It can, and it's free currently. Uh, and I believe with Google, it in, they intend to keep it that way. So you, they call your one grand central number and it rings, uh, all of your phones or any of your phones, depending on how you want to configure it. Uh, and then, you know, so it can have your, your home phone, your office phone and your cell phone all ringing simultaneously. And when you pick up any one of them, it stops ringing the rest. If you don't pick up any of them, it'll automatically go to your grand central voicemail, not to your, any of your individual voicemail. So you've got one spot. You can check the voicemail on, you can have it emailed to you. I'm pretty sure you can check it on the web. You can get it on your, you know, your, your mobile device or, or you can call in and listen to your voicemail. So, uh, it, it's just, it's a, a very handy thing. You know, I looked into getting something like this about uh, 10 years ago and it was very cost prohibitive. I mean, it was close to a thousand bucks a month to get something that was going to do this. And now, of course, you know, wonder of technology, right, man? It's just totally free. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, it's taken over. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, they cool, bought it. A cool thing that I ran into. Yep. They have gotten this too. Uh, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I mean, the, the, you get presents all the time, just like I do. Um, did you open your box with a new USB 2.0 universal drive adapter? Oh, yeah. I was going to save that oh. to talk about for a long time, but sure. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm I'm happy because uh, so you know something showed up. Um, you know, we we had one of the older versions, which uh, was great, but this one it's got Das Blinken lights. Yes, it or in does. other words, there are lights, so you know what the heck's going on. So there's a big power light. There's a USB light, so you know if it's communicating by USB to your computer. And then there's a, a another light for IDE ATA and another for SATA activity. Yep. Um, but it's great. I mean, these things are, are amazing for emergency data transfer off of, um, you know, either a SATA or what well, we'll call it in RIP now a PADA or IDE ATA drive. Um, but it'll do three and a half inch SATA drives, two and a half inch IDE drives and three and a half inch IDE drives. Yep. Um, which, you know, so SCSI, sorry, you know, uh, though we haven't seen much of that in, in, in a number of years anyways. Um, That's right. But it's great. I, I was just able to, you know, rip it open pull it out of the box, um, plug everything in and, uh, it just kind of, it just works, does what it should. And it just works. So yeah, and I think nice it's, it's of, like 30 bucks, right? I mean, it's, it's four ninety nine. I see here. Say that again. Thirty four ninety nine. Thirty four ninety nine. Hmm? No, I'm, I'm on, uh, other world computing's website right now. It says twenty nine ninety five. Hmm. New with lights. I'll, uh, I'll send you the link so we can make sure the right one gets into the okay. show. Notes here. I'm on another site that's showing it for more so excellent there you go so yeah go get it from uh, other world computing they they're they're uh, partners or they own newer tech or something they're very well they're they're joined at the hip i think so mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah all right that. cool uh all right that's it right are we done you got anything else john okay that's good let me bring in the band here see if the band starts clipping and popping and hopping like that comment we had from uh, Thomas that it wasn't Thomas's fault. That was something weird going on with this machine. I, I think some at some point the day will come that this uh, this dual, dual G forum, which I do the podcast, needs to be rebuilt uh, with a new system on it. Maybe I'll do that with Leopard soon here. I, I'm so nervous about messing with it. But. Yeah. G4. Well, you know, it, it sounds like that day where I'm going to get that new Mac is coming even closer. I guess rumors I, uh, everybody, surrounding everybody's channels. telling me it's tomorrow. Really? That'd yeah, that's what everybody's telling me. I mean, but I'm not saying anybody that actually would know officially. I'm just saying, you know, all the 
the uh, the, the the gossip hounds that I go and, and check with. Every, you know, I, I posted something on Twitter over the weekend, and uh, and I had like four people respond to me. Tuesday's the day. Tuesday's the day. Tuesday's the day. It's, okay, well, I've got my money ready, so let's just go. Let's get this thing rolling. <laughs> You can follow me on Twitter, you know, John. That uh, I'm just Dave Hamilton on Twitter. If you want to, uh, if you want to follow along, are you on Twitter yet, John? I, I don't see a need. Okay, yeah, I do find that the days I don't have it running, it way more productive, way more productive, like like mm-hmm. noticeably so. It, it's a it's a it's a definitive thing. It's definitely Twitter. There's no question. But it is fun. Yeah, my it, you know my ADD um, outlet is uh, Reddit. Ah, okay. Okay. R-E-D-D-I-T, because it's always changing. There's always articles moving up and down, and it's... Uh... Well, there you go. Uh, what else do we have to say here? You've downloaded this show from Cashfly Hosting. That's where all our bandwidth is coming from. Uh, Podcast Marketplace has the uh, A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software. The free download from Audible at audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab. PDF friend from... Barebones software, sorry, PDF pen from Smile on my Mac. I got to read my writing in order. We've got software from RageSoftware.com and, of course, Harmon-E-Travel.com. Yeah, we're done. We told them, we already told them how to contact, right? Right, John? (laughs) 206-666-GEEK. Got anything else to add before we we roll on out of here? I got nothing. You got nothing? Yeah. Well, let's let's hope tomorrow we can order something. Right together, we we'll go and just order those those new MacBook Pros. Henry President. <laughs>